0: We are looking at First Timothy. We're starting a new series in First Timothy, um, and it's all about the hope of the gospel and how it builds community. And the theme of one Timothy is that the gospel leads to practical, visible changes in the lives of those who believe it. It's often thought that the theme of the book is, is church order. But the discussion of church offices is simply a piece of the larger argument that the true gospel in contrast to false teaching will always lead to godliness in its adherence the the gospel builds community as we share this commonality so paul writes this book to to timothy sort of a sister book to ephesians ...to advise his young protege, Timothy, concerning issues that were arising at the church in Ephesus. When Paul left Timothy in Ephesus, he'd specifically charged him to deal with some false teachers in the church. And since Paul was separated from Timothy in the church, he wrote back to him with further instructions. And throughout the letter, Paul grounds Christian behaviour in the gospel... And so you will see the theme of false teachers come up through this book because they're opposite to the gospel. They're opposite to a gospel-centered community because of their results. Arrogance, greed, and promoting speculations. See, Paul's main focus is that true Christianity is evidenced by lifestyles shaped by the gospel. Those whose lives are not shaped by the gospel So that they have turned away from the faith. In 1 Timothy, it's a clear call for the church to live out in tangible ways the ethical implications of the gospel. And so we can also see the natural outcome of a church that is shaped by the gospel is close community. As we, the church, as our lifestyles are shaped by the gospel, the fruit of that will be that we become closer together, more in harmony with each other and with God and serve each other and our community even better. But if I was Satan and I saw what was going on here at this church or at any other flourishing church, I would turn to some tried and true methods to disrupt what God is doing amongst us and amongst our community. And the first thing would be to stoke theological disagreements. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 3 to 7 says, I urge you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now Paul doesn't go into great details about the particulars of the false teaching. But what we can see here is that they are distractions from the true substance of the Christian faith. Paul is basically saying this, keep the main thing, the main thing. Don't get tied up with little differences in belief, little theological preferences, don't make those things more important than what they are. Like if you read the Gospels, did you know that there are two genealogies of Jesus in the New Testament? And did you know that they're not the same? (coughs) Now, some people, when they look at this, they go, hold on, how could that be right? There's, there's two of them. Like, then they're, they're different. Some of them have fathers, some of them have, different, have mothers, some of them follow different snakes, if you like, through the, through the family tree. But they both have King David and they both end with Jesus. And what we've actually got is just more information. So it's not like one's right, one's wrong, some are better, some are worse. It says we've got more information. Now, for some people, things like this become massive issues and stumbling blocks. Or they become so fixated on differences in theology that they become all consumed by them and begin endless discussions and debate. And that's all they talk about. Have you met like have you met people like this who they just want to debate the, the nuances of the finer points of details of theology? They're in this this search to know that they are, are, are the, they've got the best theology they've got it right. they have, they have the keeper of, of all knowledge and and, and they just you know, every conversation is oh, you know they're so consumed by those thoughts of, of, of and it's sort of they almost become like useless. Have you come across people like that? I've met many in my time. And I think what people like this miss is verse 5. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. They miss keeping the main thing the main thing. And they get so distracted by these theological differences, they spend all the time thinking about these things, discussing these things, consumed by these things, that they never share the hope that they have in the gospel with anyone else. They never share the love of God that underpins their hope. The aim of Paul's teaching, the why behind it, is love. That's the main thing. The reason Paul trained up Timothy? Love. The reason he taught the church the gospel and how it applies to a Christian's life? Love. Love. The reason we today continue to preach the gospel and how it applies to a Christian's life? Love. Love is the guiding force behind the gospel. Whereas false teaching results in meaningless speculation, proper teaching, solid teaching of the gospel results in practical good behaviour rooted in love. It results in fruit rooted in love. So what is this fruit that is rooted in love? Well, the fruit comes in each believer who keeps the main thing the main thing and the believer who allows the Holy Spirit to work within you. That love comes from internal spirit work changes that this passage gives us three of. First of all is a pure heart rather than one filled with sinful desires. Have you ever had a moment of doubt in your life? about your salvation? Have you ever wondered, how do I know that I am saved? Well, I think that a pure heart is the fruit of God's love at work in your life. Is your general disposition in life and the actions you take from that disposition one of purity? Or is it filled with sinful desires and sinful outcomes? Now, we all sin... No, not one of us is without sin and if you think you're doing well, then you might be sinful in that thought because of pride. So we all sin. But sin is not what characterises the life of a Christian. Yes, we're all tempted and at times given to temptation and sin. However, as Christians, our life is marked by the disposition towards purity and not towards sin. Our life is oriented towards purity, not oriented towards sin. Every single single time we stand against temptation and we choose not to sin, that is the fruit of God's love being displayed in our life as we display a pure heart rather than one that is filled with sinful desires. A Christian doesn't desire sin. The human condition... Is such that we orient our lives towards that which we desire we see this playing out in many different spheres of life you know when i finished school at 18 I, one of my desires was to build a career that could pay well to support my family so i began working as a buyer's assistant for a retail store i was working in the shops for So I expended time and energy towards that desire and quickly rose through the roles to become a buyer. And whilst I rose through the roles to get as far as I could, as quickly as I could, the pay didn't match my desire. So I moved on after three or four years uh, to a role that paid better. And we all do this. We all expend energy, time and resources. We all orient our lives towards that which we desire. We see this play out often in the negative spheres of life as well, when people are trapped by addiction or abuse. But for Christians, we often see the fruit bearer in positive ways as our desires align with the heart of God for us, as we display a pure heart rather than one filled with sinful desires. The second fruit is a good conscience rather than one laden with guilt. When we keep the main thing, the main thing, love bears out in its followers of Jesus through a good conscience. Have you ever said or thought about someone and and, and you've observed what they've been doing or something and and you go, how on earth could they ever sleep at night? Who's thought that? How on earth could they ever sleep at night? You know, we might say something like that because the blatant dishonesty or immoral behaviour of someone else. However, when you have a good conscience, guilt is not something that will keep you up at night because we've got nothing to be guilty for. Yet if we do something dishonest or immoral towards someone else, our good conscience will not be able to rest until we've dealt with our actions, repented of them and sought the forgiveness and restoration with those whom we may have hurt. John Calvin wrote... A good conscience, then, is nothing but inward integrity of heart. It's a good quote. We get to a good conscience because love bears out in our lives and we cannot remain in a place of conflict or of benefiting from dishonest gain because what is good within us cries out guilt until we restore what is corrupted within us. I once read about a study that concluded that addiction is more prevalent amongst people who associate guilt with the action. Interesting. And it explains to me why people who live sinful lives can often seem so light because they don't associate guilt with what they do, which we would consider immoral or wrong, but they don't, so they don't feel guilt. To them, what they're doing is not wrong, and so they can live lightly, free from guilt. Yet, they do stand guilty, and ultimately, they will discover their guilt. But it does explain why sin reoccurs is almost a lifestyle of those who reject Christ. Yet, you and I, if we do something that goes against our conscience, we feel guilt and we feel shame. Guilt and shame go hand in hand. Yet, what do the Scriptures teach us about guilt and shame? There is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Freedom is found in the gospel through the love of Christ poured out for each one of us on the cross. That was where God worked a miracle in restoring us to a right standing before him. The cross dealt with that forever and bought our freedom. Keep that the main thing. Keep the main thing. The main thing and you too can have a good conscience rather than one laden with guilt the third fruit is a sincere faith rather than pretense and hypocrisy the definition of the word sincere is free from pretense or deceit proceeding from genuine feelings a sincere faith comes from a true and genuine heart it is not only the desire to believe but having an ability to truly believe. And when we experience God's love, it builds our faith. A bit like when you water and nourish a tree, it grows and bears fruit. That's what the love of God is for our faith. Now, sincere faith does not mean our faith is perfect. Honest faith includes admitting that we are sinners in need of a saviour but it does mean that our lives will be characterized as Christians by our sincere faith rather than pretense and hypocrisy. How often do you hear the charge against the church and against Christians? Oh, you're all a bunch of hypocrites or you're all pretentious. You all think you're better than everyone else. You've you've heard that. It happens a lot. Now, this is in part because of a misunderstanding about the church. We as the church are all imperfect. But what we have in common is that we know we are imperfect and we know that we need a saviour. We don't come together as a church to celebrate how good we are. We come in the full understanding that we know we all need help. We're not better than anyone else. But what we do know is that we can't save ourselves. Only the gospel can do that. And so we form community around the gospel, the good news that salvation is assured through faith in Jesus Christ. Sincere faith, not pretense or hypocrisy. The aim of Paul's instruction, love, is central to Paul's teaching on the gospel. Chuck Swindoll commented that when we share what we know about Christ, people should sense that they're loved, not bullied. I like that. And you can clearly see from Paul's writings that you can see the love ooze forward. And it doesn't mean he doesn't share some tough truths, we'll get to those in a minute. In fact, he loves the church enough to write, to instruct, to correct failures, errors and sin. And I would hope that that it would be true of each one of us as well for our community that when people interact with us that they sense they're loved and not bullied. In verse 8, Paul turns his attention, though, to some of those tough truths. Now, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers for murderers, the sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So here's an unpopular opinion. The law is good. It's an unpopular opinion. The law is good. The Old Testament Mosaic law, or the whole Old Testament, Paul's unclear, but it's all good. Jesus said himself that he didn't come to do away with the law, but he came to fulfill it. And that brings me to point two today, don't Miss the point. You see, the law is good, but only if it's used correctly. What was happening here in the church in Ephesus was that some of the teachers were majoring on the minor. Paul's saying that the law is not given to apply in some mystical way to people who are already righteous. People are already seeking to conform to the law. It is rather given to deal with people who are specifically violating its sanctions and to warn them against specific sins, which he then lists. Laws in general, and the Mosaic law in particular, are not made for people who do what is right, but for people who do wrong. It's like holding a mirror up that reflects the error of our ways. And Paul speaks about the disobedient, rebellious individuals who refuse to obey the laws, The irreverent, people who have no regard for and live in opposition to God. The impure, unholy people, worldly people who treat sacred things as common. And the violent, people who have no respect or affection for their own parents, which at its most extreme, Paul equates to murder, to kill people deliberately. The immoral, sexually immoral people who deal perversely with people of the opposite sex and homosexuals who abuse people of their own sex. On this, commentator Charles Ryrie wrote, Paul states that such people are lawless, rebellious, ungodly, sinners, unholy and profane, and the deceitful, slave traders who kidnap and sell other people, people traffickers, liars and perjurers who bear false witness, and, I love this, and whatever is else is contrary to sound teaching. And it's just like, you know, I can't, bother listing them all, just everything else, that's, that's bad, you know. Everything else. And as you go through this list, it it almost parallels perfectly the Ten Commandments. And at the end, whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, Paul, he basically takes it to the larger gospel that he preached. But what the law does for us is point out that we are all sinners in need of a Saviour. Paul mentions transgressions in pairs, beginning with the lesser and then stating the extreme. And like Jesus said as well, equating your heart attitude with actually committing the sin. But what paul's point in this passage is that when you get sidetracked by sin or by falsely understanding the law you miss the point point. and legalism is certainly one thing that can sidetrack people from the main thing and what i mean by legalism is the expectation that we place on other people to align with our practice and beliefs god may have guided you to a position that doing a particular thing for you would be unwise and potentially sinful. And so you draw a line in the sand at that point or just behind it um, so that you can maintain a good conscience before God. But that line might be in a different place for someone else as God leads and directs them in that area. When we have an expectation that everyone should align with where I draw my line, we're being legalistic And we're probably also going to then be easily distracted from the main thing and miss the point, which is the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I, we, have been entrusted. That's what Paul says. You see, the point is the gospel. Paul gives Timothy great encouragement that the point is the gospel, that Christ Jesus came to save sinners verse 12 i thank him who has given me strength christ jesus our lord because he judged me faithful appointed appointing me to his service though formerly i was a blasphemer persecuted and insolent opponent but i received mercy because i had acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in christ jesus the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory for forever and ever. Amen. See, Paul knows who he was, a blasphemer, a persecutor, insolent, an opponent, ignorant, a non-believer, a sinner. God poured out grace, his undeserved favour, trust and love on Paul, even though Paul had poured out blasphemy, persecution and violence on God by attacking Christians. Faith and love in Paul were the effects of God's grace towards him. And he gives thanks to God through Christ Jesus because he has received God's mercy, God's grace, and God's love. We too can give thanks because we have also received those. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. See, the point is the gospel. You see, we're all in the same position as Paul. We were all once opponents of God. And God was unusually merciful to to, to Paul because he promised to make the apostle an example of his perfect patience in dealing with sinners. The Lord's greatest enemy became his greatest servant. In the light of Paul's conversion... No one should conclude that your sin is too great for God to forgive. If God could be patient with Paul, who was killing Christians, he can be patient with anyone. Just like Paul, by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of God for us and through his great mercy, Christ died for us, the ungodly, to save us. And that is what we as the church all have in common. This is the hope that we have in the gospel. And this great hope of the gospel is what builds community amongst us, our shared experience. We were once enemies, but we are now family. And so we see the reason that Paul referred to his conversion in this part of his letter was to encourage Timothy to be faithful in the ministry which he'd entrusted to him, the ministry of the gospel. And the fact that God had completely transformed Paul proves that he can do the same for anyone. And this gives hope to everyone who seeks to win people to Christ and to help them grow in Christ. And this charge, well, I believe it's been entrusted to us as it was to Timothy. It's our task at hand to bring the hope of the gospel. In verse 18 paul writes to timothy this charge i entrust to you timothy my child in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you that by them you may wage the good warfare holding faith and a good conscience by rejecting this some have made shipwreck of their faith among whom are hermeneus and alexander whom i have handed over to satan that they may learn not to blaspheme see paul charged timothy and entrusted him with the work of the gospel for his community And he warns against rejecting faith and a good conscience. See, when we reject God, we make a shipwreck of our faith, and the consequences are severe. So I guess the question for us today, how should we engage Paul's instruction to Timothy? Well, I think we are all Timothy's. This instruction is on vital importance for every Christian since we are all ministers in Jesus Christ, ministers of Jesus Christ. You are entrusted with the charge to bring the hope of the gospel as you are a minister of Jesus Christ. We are a community founded upon the gospel of Christ to bring the hope of that same gospel to others. So hold the faith. And a good conscience. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Don't miss the point. The point is the gospel. And it's not just for me, it's not just for our elders or our deacons, it's for each one of us, as we are a community of ministers of Jesus Christ for the gospel. So, what can you do as a minister of Jesus Christ to bring the hope of the gospel? What is God asking you to do? You see, we can sit in church Sunday after Sunday and feel encouraged to read the Bible together, worship together, hear a sermon together, but the difference it makes in our life is vital. What are you going to do that is different? How are you going to change after hearing the word of God to align yourself with his teaching and instruction? What are you going to do as a minister of Jesus Christ and bearer of the hope of the gospel? And there are some great opportunities available to you to build community around the gospel. And maybe your response today might be to investigate how you might join a team and serve our community. You know, our mainly music team right now are trying to work out how to cater for the massive numbers of families who are looking for what is offered by that team. They need more leaders. And they would ideally love to move to two sessions on a Tuesday to cater for the continued growth and need but simply don't have enough people on the team to do that. This is a ministry to young families in our community where they hear about Jesus, where kids sing songs about Jesus and the team, well they love the families, they love the mums, they love the dads, they love the carers and and, and, and they minister to them in so many different ways there's a real community that forms amongst those people and maybe you could consider setting aside your tuesday and join the many music team to help reach young families with the love of christ and to share hope in a practical way to those families if so speak to kathy she's right there She's going to turn, stand up right now. She's going to turn around. For everyone that has not recognised Kathy today, she is here. Go and speak with her. Thank you, Kathy. Our hospitality team needs many more people to help build community around the gospel. It needs leadership and it needs people to be involved in serving others in a practical way to help facilitate relationships and growth amongst us and in our community. Speak to me if you want to be involved. And our final summer fun day is on this Wednesday. Why not come along on Wednesday to be there to serve and connect with our community? To have conversations with people we might not otherwise have contact with. And particularly with the weather forecast this week, please pray that any weather happens after 2pm, not before. (laughs) Because showers and a potential thunderstorm are currently part of the weather forecast and we know that they get it wrong all the time so they're going to get this wrong too god's going to give us a wonderful morning a little bit of rain won't matter because we'll be getting wet in the water slide anyway but anyway um so um come along you you know at the pool this week we had over a thousand people come through that four hours and gave away over a thousand sausages as well which was brilliant right But what was the most exciting thing for me was the conversations that I was able to have with people. And one lady I was speaking to said, It would take a lot to restore my faith in the institutional church, but by what you've done for the community here today, you've done it. You've restored my faith in the church. What a massive thing it was for that lady to change her whole disposition towards the church. What a blessing. You never know when you'll have an opportunity as a minister of Jesus Christ to share the hope we have in the gospel. But if you place yourself in more positions to do that, serve in practical ways to facilitate that, God will bring growth and bring fruit to the seeds that you are sowing and planting. You know, when I was heading off to uh, to Woolworths to grab some sausages that they were donating as well on on Tuesday, um, I was having a chat with a butcher, and uh, we, we we spoke for about five minutes as uh, I said what we're doing. Oh, we're giving them away for free. Yeah, yeah, we're doing this and whatever else, and it was like, oh. Yeah, I don't really much, you know, um, you know I'm always polite to w- when people come, you know, knock on my door or whatever, but I don't really believe in all that sort of, you know, stuff. And, and we got talking and in the next five minutes, we covered so many different topics. Um, but all of that was an opportunity where I had to share and I got to share the gospel with him. Like, it's just a simple thing of serving in a practical way it leads to the conversations where you have the opportunity to potentially change someone's eternal destiny forever. We're all ministers of the gospel, we're all ministers of Jesus Christ. You have just as much opportunity as I do to have those conversations as well. So, serve our community, love them, keep the main thing the main thing. Let me pray, Heavenly Father, we do bless you. We thank you that you've given us this instruction today from this letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. And Lord, may you help each one of us keep the main thing the main thing. And may our motivation and at the centre of our heart be love as you have loved us. May we love each other more in the gospel. May we love our community more and bring the gospel. And Lord, I just pray that we would not be distracted by unimportant things. But Lord, we would keep a firm understanding that the the foundation of our Christian life is the gospel. And may that bear fruit in our lives in so many different ways as we love you and serve you in practical ways to bring that hope of the gospel to our community. We pray in the name of Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Graham.